sight to the blind. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, October 24th, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. Bartimaeus is a unique figure in the Gospel of Mark, says Reverend David Pelegi. Although blind, Bartimaeus is one of the few that sees who Jesus claims to be. What can we, as modern disciples, learn from him? His faith is a bold faith, desperate to receive from Jesus. Unlike the rich young ruler, nothing, not even his cloak, hinders him from following Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we open up the pages of Scripture. Let us be still in our hearts and open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 6. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is, seek, is seen was not made out of what, of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. To those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, 
but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is in the gospel according to Mark, beginning at verse 46, chapter 10. Please stand as we hear the good news of the Lord Messiah. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bar Timaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So, Father, we ask that um, your spirit, the spirit of your son, Jesus, will be the one who uh, teaches and instructs us and guides us into the way of life and leads us along the way, the way of the cross. We pray that um, you will give us grace to obey, but first and foremost, Lord, we pray that uh, you will heal us of our blindness, those things that uh, stop us or prevent us from following you in the way that you desire. And again, we ask these things for the sake of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Thank you. We um, have a very, what you might say, encouraging and even happy story uh, or incident in the life of Jesus, especially if we think about it in the context of Mark's gospel. And I do think it's important to read these gospel stories um, in context, right? We need to, can't isolate the story from uh, from the entire from the entire gospel, and uh, the gospel really the gospel of Mark is a story about the way, the road, and the, the gospel opens like every gospel or the three synoptic gospels with uh, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is fulfilling the scripture, prepare the way 
prepare the road for the Lord. And John comes preaching repentance as a, uh, as a way of preparation. I think we've said it before, but it's worth saying again. John, the, the role of John the Baptist isn't simply to come and send out some Evites, like, hey, the Messiah is coming. We just want you, we, we want to notify you of this reality. No, the Messiah is coming in order to really see and to really hear. Yes, that has to begin with repentance, self-examination and repentance. And Jesus appears on the scene, and he, not surprisingly, begins by saying, repent, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus then calls disciples to himself, and he says, come and follow me. And Jesus begins a journey to Jerusalem. And along that journey, again, as we've mentioned in the past, we have to understand that Mark's gospel, that the journey is littered with many obstacles. You have the religious authorities. You have uh, his family, the political authorities, the disciples themselves, all to, some, to one extent or another, they're all blind. And oftentimes in their misunderstanding and their blindness, they're putting up obstacles in the way of Jesus. And Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem. And as he begins his journey to Jerusalem, he teaches about uh, discipleship. And that journey, starts at Caesarea Philippi, which is in Mark chapter 8. And uh, it will conclude in March, Mark chapter 10. But all along the way, Jesus is trying to emphasize over and over again, not only that he is the Messiah, but what is the Messianic agenda? What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to walk Yes, to walk behind Jesus, or to walk with Jesus as he takes this way of the cross that goes to Jerusalem. What are the obstacles and the misunderstandings that get in the way? And so Jesus is not only telling his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem, but of course he illustrates it with teaching um, along the way. And it's interesting, we have a story about a blind man but he's not the first blind man to appear in the gospel. Because just before Jesus uh, goes to Caesarea Philippi, he's in Bethsaida. And uh, at Bethsaida, some people, I'm reading from chapter 8 of Mark, some people came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led them outside the village. Then he spit on the blind man's eyes and put his hands on him. And Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people like, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the eyes. 
and his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. That's how the journey to Jerusalem begins. The journey to Jerusalem begins also with the healing of a blind man. I don't think it's an accident that Mark puts these two stories or that these two stories fall the way that they do. Because surely, yes, the gospel writer is trying to tell us something about blindness, not just physical blindness, but there's also a spiritual blindness. In the first story, this man, somewhat passive, he's brought to Jesus. Jesus heals him. But the healing, I don't think this is a reflection on the power of Jesus. The more that I thought about it, I think that uh, this is something that uh, Jesus, you might say, arranges. He has the authority to do such a thing. The healing is partial, and it's not totally complete. It doesn't happen in an instant. And immediately following, Jesus will ask his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, comes up with the right answer. And Peter says, of course, you are the Messiah, you know, the son of a living God. But Peter is also like that blind man in Bethsaida. He's partially blind. He can see in part. He can see that Jesus is the Messiah. But he has really no concept, yes, of, of the messianic agenda. He doesn't understand the way. He doesn't understand uh, the... He won't understand, yes, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's an oxymoron to him. And so thus the journey begins. And along the way, along the way, I mean, I want to re-highlight two things that we've already spoken about. There is the disciples, and the disciples um, say to Jesus, this is, sorry, the request of James and John. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. And of course, Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Yes. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the, bapti- with the baptism I'm, bapt- I'm, I'm baptized with. And of course, we all know the response that follows. And by the way, I do think it's important to point out that um, Jesus, when he's answering his disciples here, he doesn't squash or he doesn't put to death this innate uh, human desire that maybe that God himself gave us. Yes, and that's the desire to be great or to do something noble or to do something good. Jesus acknowledges that that's not a bad thing. He just simply um, exposes the lie of the world. Yes, and he said, if you want to be great, he said that um, you must be the slave of all. 
for even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then we have the story that we, just previous to that, that we discussed several weeks ago, and talking about our relationship with the poor and laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus uh, encounters this so-called rich young man or the rich young ruler who in many ways is very, is a, technically keeps all the commandments, yet somehow is possessed by his possessions and cannot let them go and cannot let them go uh, and uh, follow Jesus. So those two stories, those two account, those two events are important for our story. And our story begins with Jesus of, um, coming to the end of his journey. He's in uh, he's in Jericho, or he's he's passing through Jericho, and uh, he's going to make his way up to Jerusalem. He goes with great uh, great determination. And he surely has the crowds with him, the pilgrims from Galilee, who are are excited, yes, because they believe, and this is according to Luke's gospel, they believe that uh, with Jesus going to Jerusalem, the kingdom of God is going to appear at any moment. Yes, Uh, and their messianic expectations are uh, going to, they're going to find uh, fulfillment. And so when Jesus is leaving the city, he meets a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. And it's very curious in a way because I don't know of anyone else that Jesus heals in this gospel uh, that has a name. So it might be that uh, this man, Bartimaeus, actually was later well-known to the Christian community. In any event, yes, he's quite amazing and quite special because as Jesus goes along and he encounters misunderstanding and opposition, both human and demonic, yes, very few people get it, at least in this gospel. Very few people understand, yes, what it means to walk along the way. And consequently, uh, he's one of the few. And, uh, and in some ways, ironically, even though he's blind, he sees and understands more clearly than someone like Simon Peter, who's been walking with Jesus for three years. And there are only two people in the gospel who, can call, who call Jesus uh, by a, uh, a messianic title. One is Simon Peter, who's partially blind spiritually, and the other is is Bartimaeus. And he is a guy who's a beggar. He's poor. He's on the fringe of society, yes, because surely because of his blindness or his disability. And uh, some Jews in the Second Temple period believed that if you were blind, you were somehow also unclean. And so, consequently, as Jesus passes by, this blind guy starts, he hears that Jesus is coming, and uh, he does the most incredible, phenomenal thing. uh, He 
begins to yell out in desperation, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So first and foremost, or he says, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. So he recognizes Jesus, yes, he recognizes Jesus as Messiah, but he also recognizes Jesus not just as the son of David, as in all of us will say, yes, Jesus is the the Davidic Messiah, but he also recognizes Jesus in his messianic understanding, or Jesus in his messianic role, is a healer is one who comes to restore, is one who comes to rescue, especially from the demonic. And you might think, well, how do you under, how do you get that? Well, in the second temple period and beyond, it was believed that the son of David, yes, the son of David, who was the son of David? Solomon had healing power, or Solomon could had the power to exercise the demonic. And so this man, in his desperation, calls upon Jesus, yes, and understands Jesus really kind of in a, in a multifaceted way and understands that the one who's walking on the way, yes, is bringing... Um, bringing healing. I think it's probably appropriate to to, to look at um, Isaiah 35. And um, this is a, a passage we'll read for Advent, but uh, talking about uh, the um, God coming to his people. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, Then the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Yes. And uh, goes on to say, and a highway will be there. It will be the highway of holiness, etc., etc. The chapter is talking about making your way through the wilderness on a highway. Again, that's Mark's theme. Yes, walking on the way. And as Jesus walks on the way, it's not only, as I said, misunderstood or he suffers opposition, but he is also bringing healing and rescue to those who, uh, to those who need. And so this man, he, in his desperation, in his desperation begins to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, isn't it ironic? In Mark's gospel, it's the crowd. Uh, in Luke's gospel, it's, it's the disciples themselves. What do they say? Shut up. You're spoiling a beautiful religious moment here. Don't make noise. Don't make trouble. You know? Isn't it ironic? Of all, here are the, the religious, the righteous, the folks who sit in a pew are somehow trying to deny the desperate. Yes, the Lord's touch. Yeah. They're chanting psalms. They're going to Jerusalem, and they're going to dip themselves in the ritual immersion bath. But it's like, wait a minute, you're not a part of us? 
What are you doing interrupting? Don't make trouble. And of course, we've mentioned this many, many times before, but for those of you who, who are new, it's worth reminding ourselves or reminding you uh, once again that this man exhibits a faith or a type of faith that the Bible uh, indeed finds, or God himself finds, very attractive. This is a faith that's born out of faithfulness. And this kind of faith isn't a passive um, mental um, state in which we, you walk around and say, I believe, I believe. This is a faith that's going to express itself or exhibit itself in a way that is persistent, in a way that is bold, in a way that sometimes has chutzpah. Yes, and in many gospel stories, not all, and here we're not talking about a formula, in many gospel stories, Jesus will say to a person, your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you. And he says that to a person who's been persistent or rude or have refused to give up. Yes, we talk about the man who is, uh, sorry, the woman with the issue of blood. That woman, she didn't exactly sit at home and say, I'm waiting for the Lord's healing. Yes, in her persistence and in her boldness, she pushed her way through a crowd in order to touch the Lord. The, the folks who opened, tore open someone's roof and lowered a man down, yes, on a pallet, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, their faith has healed you, meaning their persistence, their yes, refusal to give up, yes, their tenaciousness, their chutzpah, yes, their boldness, their nerviness. I, I have to tell this joke once a year, right? So for those, so what is it, Abiel? What is the definition of chutzpah? Yeah, but how do you de define it for for those who may not be? Chutzpah is exactly, exactly. The preacher sounds like a bro broken CD. The man who kills his parents goes before the judge is about to be sentenced, and the judge says, "He says to the judge, have mercy on me, judge. I'm an orphan.'" <laughs> Gosh, that almost made Justin. That almost made Justin smile. <laughs> that was an, that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> so here's a man with persistence uh, who refuses to give up. Secondly, yes. Oh, secondly, one of the things I should point out: he is quite uh, honest when Jesus comes to him. You know, sometimes we always beat around the bush with the Lord or each other. So when Jesus asked the question, what can I do for you? The same question that he asked the disciples or the same uh, who wanted to be great. Yes. What does the man say? Well, Lord, I need I'm, I'm really looking for world peace. <laughs> I would really like you to, you know, fix the problems with the ozone layer. No, he was very blunt. He said, I want to see. And of course, Jesus responds to that kind of faith. 
Yes. Now, it's not the only way to get something from the Lord. So please don't think it's a magic formula. Remember the story of the first man. He was passive. Folks brought him to Jesus. But I think there are two other things that are important about the story. Yes. Um, Secondly, this man throws away his cloak. I don't know if you've ever noticed that really odd detail. Yes, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting? Yes, here's a poor man, a beggar. He's a man who uh, surely doesn't have many possessions. A cloak in those days was quite valuable. Kept you warm in the winter. Was your blanket at night when you slept outside. And he's willing to throw his most valuable possession aside in order to come to the Lord. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? He wouldn't part with any of his possessions, but our blind beggar will. Now, I know it's easy to say, well, if you're poor, it's so easy to do such a thing. Actually, that's not true, right? All of us, yes, look to our possessions or are tempted to look to our our possessions to give us security or to give us status or to give us an identity. So we may be poor or we may be rich, but this man doesn't allow these possessions, his one possession, to come between him and the Lord. And then it says that after being healed, yes, he jumps up. Obviously, he's an exuberant guy. And he's going to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. Yes, he'll ultimately... Yes, accompany the Lord. And so I think the story, I hope the story teaches us something about walking in the way and teaches us something or reminds us something important about discipleship. Yes, it's not only a healing story, but it's a a story to help us to answer the call, the call that Jesus gives to each one of us. Walk after me. Or you could say, walk with me. Yes. First of all, we want something from the Lord. It helps to be desperate. Yes. Very often we're complacent about our own spiritual condition or the spiritual condition of our family or our nation. And, um, you know, if you look from personal example or from the scripture itself, yes, there is a godly desperation. And if we don't have that desperation, right, to come to a place of maturity and transformation or to deepen our discipleship, we should ask for it because otherwise we become complacent and all becomes well and all becomes easy. And I'm not suggesting that following Jesus is only about struggle and misunderstanding and suffering and rejection. Those things happen. But of course, it, we have... Um, Blessing, yes, great joy and satisfaction, uh, and indeed, you know, the knowledge that we have eternal life, yes, and that our lives has our lives and the things that we do in this world have eternal value. So both certainly occur, occur, occur at the same uh, the same time. If we don't have that desperation, by the way, I think we'll follow in another way. 
Yes. And the other way that we're so tempted to follow in is the 12 ways to improve your diet. The six ways to be ready for the world economic disorder. The three things you can do to improve your marriage right now. Yes, yes, it's the way of self-help. And some of that is good, and some of it is helpful. But so much of our culture, yeah, which is being influenced by this. Yes, we're being influenced, yes, by... a way of thinking that is not the gospel, that is not the way of the cross. It's not the way of giving of oneself. And so we have to be careful. Again, the second thing, really to be a disciple, we have to have a faith, yes, and a confidence that's going to express itself in persistence. Just like this man, yeah, to walk along the way with Jesus and to end well. We need that faith that's not passive, but a faith, you know, that is willing to endure hardship and a faith that will take us through suffering and misunderstanding. Yes, so that in the end, we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And again, faith is a gift, but also faith is something that we exercise and that is something that we grow in. And so if that faith is lacking in our lives, again, we need to pray for that gift and pray that God will gently, right, put us in situations, I know that's a dangerous prayer, in which we will grow in determination and persistence, yes, and an insistence that we will remain loyal to Jesus no matter what happens to us, yes. And finally, what I like about this guy is I think he jumps up and follows Jesus to Jerusalem out of gratitude. And I think we need to all remember, yes, that a walk of faith, but even a walk of discipleship, of following Jesus along the way, is a response, yes, to what the Lord has done for us. That's That... Um, the paradigm, that way of thinking, is something that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. What should be our primary motivation? It shouldn't be one of fear, f- although fear might be helpful sometimes, but it should be one of gratitude. I'm, yes, I'm going to model my life Yes, on the life of Jesus, because that's all discipleship is, right? All following the way. It's not about a program. It's not all that complicated. It can be challenging, but it's simply imitating Jesus, yes, and living as he lived and walking with him, yes, on the way. So I'm going to model my life on him and reflect who he is to others, Why? Because I'm grateful for what he's done for me. Yes, I'm grateful that he loved me, that he reached down to redeem me, that like this blind man, he continues to save us and heal us because salvation is an ongoing process, continues to rescue us, yes, from the deception of the devil and the fear of death 
yes, and the power of sin, that he continues to um, bless us and care for us. All of these, yes, I, I want to express gratitude. Yes, John's epistle sums it up really well. We love him because he first loved us. Yes, this starts, actually, I said, probably starts in Exodus. And it continues all the way through the New Testament. If we can't serve God out of gratitude, then perhaps we can serve him out of fear. The fear of sin or the concept, fear of the, our consequences of not uh, following him. But it should be first and foremost out of gratitude. And of course, Jesus said, if you do love me, yes, you will keep my commandments. And finally, yeah, maybe that's the final thing. Yeah. Walking along the way is being showing, having a sense of desperation. Yes, having a persistent faith. Yes, and being motivated by gratitude. And if these things uh, do elude us, then uh, surely we can always look to the Lord for help, right? When we're tempted or when we're weak, yes, there is divine help always available. And so we be, begin by asking for prayer. So, Father in heaven, we do commit ourselves to you and your son, Jesus. And Lord, we uh, must confess that some of us don't fully see, and we may be blind like this man from Bethsaida, or partially blind. But Lord, we pray that uh, you will continue to enlighten the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we can indeed see uh, the reality, the spiritual reality of the world around us. Lord, that we may turn away from sin, and Lord, the, the culture of this world, and diligently follow you, faithfully follow you, Lord, out of hearts that are uh, indeed grateful, yes, for the wonderful things that you have done for us and continue to do. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, once again, we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.